Okay, I'm good to go. Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Wednesday. It is September the 13th. How is it yes. only Wednesday? How is it only Wednesday? <laughs> Have I ever sent you that Onion article, It Only Tuesday? Oh, no. It's very funny. But, but oh, my God. Oh, yeah, my it's goodness. Slow. Uh, it's a slow yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, so but we're going to do some news. Uh, we'll do at least one smile because I am bereft of smiles today for whatever reason. Nothing struck my fancy. Uh, and I figure better to, you know, cop to it than go out and find something that was just, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, we're going to get started. Uh, and since I'm saying this part, Kimberly, you get to say the next part, which is, uh, what is your news for the day, madam? Uh, now I feel guilty about my make me smile because I also was bereft of smiles and I was like you know. trawling the internet searching for dregs of happiness. Um, but anyway... My actual news, uh, two pieces. Um, first of all, one in ProPublica, and it's a piece about the looming crisis in used car loans um, yeah. that I'm just going to read from the beginning. Um, in, for years, investors bought bonds backed by auto loans because they reliably produced handsome returns, even amid rocky markets and downturns in the economy. But now, for the first time in decades, that winning streak appears to be coming to an end, with half a dozen prominent used auto lenders facing either an, aval an avalanche of failed loans or growing regulatory scrutiny. So basically what's happened is lots of people are defaulting on these used auto loans. And if you will recall, um, during some of the supply chain shortages of the pandemic, used cars became almost more expensive than new cars. And so people who were taking out loans for already more expensive than usual used cars and then couple that with higher interest rates that have come along since then. It's putting a lot of people in a bind on cars that are already going to be more likely to have problems because they're used and they're older. And so lots of people are defaulting on these loans. And then many of these companies that gave these loans are getting called out for predatory lending practices. And so the whole industry is a mess at the moment. And I, I'm sure you know this guy, but what happens with car loan defaults is often sort of an early indicator of larger mm -hmm. economic problems to come. Mm -hmm. And and the thing about car loan delinquencies is that people, why it's a bad sign is that people tend to pay them because without a car, should you mm -hmm. not pay, you can't get to work, you can't get around, right? So that's why people tend to prioritize those. And if we're having delinquencies there, that could be a challenge. That's what's going yeah. on. My other item is a long read from the Politico magazine, which is something I'd never thought about. It's about air conditioning and how air conditioning might be partially to blame for some of our government dysfunction. <laughs> go on. <laughs> it's, it's a very long read, so you'll have to go back and look at the entire argument. But apparently... Back in the day when the U.S. Capitol was built, because they were so focused on designing it to be all like Greco-Roman and European looking, they did not plan very well for ventilation for Washington's weather. Oh, and wow. so it was so stiflingly hot and uncomfortable in there that members of Congress did their best to be out of there all summer and to keep their lawmaking 
to a pretty limited window every year. But Congress, uh, Capitol Hill was one of the first places to get basically central AC, which allowed them to stay in Washington longer every year and eventually move the dates for the budget process from ending the country's uh, fiscal year from and bu- bu- bump it from June 30th, because remember, everybody wanted to get out before it was yeah, too hot, yeah, to instead yeah. to September 30th. But then... Members of Congress got upset because they wanted to be able to go home. So they eventually got an August recess added back in there. But then, because now the financial clock runs out on September 30th and you have an August recess, that means every year we have this tiny window from when they get back from August recess to when funding runs out that leads to many of the problems that we have today, in addition to the fact that because Congress is here year-round effectively, they can be, it makes them fill the time. <laughs> it's That is amazing. And I will say, not for the first time on this podcast, history is cool. Come on. It's so cool. Come it's on. It's such an interesting article. Right. Because who would have thought about air conditioning as... Right. Part of the reason for our political dysfunction. I mean, it's That's a little awesome. bit of a stretch, but it's a fascinating read and includes a lot of things about members of Congress sleeping in their offices and things like that. Yeah. And look, it lines up. I mean, it's not the causal factor, but it certainly contributes. Yeah, yeah. And certainly at this point in our political dysfunction cycle, any little thing can you know tip <laughs> anything over. I think that's awesome. For That's sure. super cool. Yeah. Super cool. All right. What's yours? Uh, my, mine is also congressional in nature. Uh, by the time you hear this, you will have uh, probably heard that that uh, Senator Mitch Romney, uh, Mitt Romney, sorry, um, mm. said today he is not going to run in 2024 for re-election. So that will, he will be a one-termer uh, and he will leave. Um, and I mention that because... Uh, also today, time serendipitously, I'm sure, man, I'm having a mm. tough time speaking today, um, The Atlantic dropped uh, an installment from a biography of Romney that uh, McKay Coppins of The Atlantic is writing. And I mention that because it's being written with Romney's full cooperation. Romney turned over journals and emails and documents and what have you from a lifetime in the public eye, he also sat for hours and hours of interviews with McKay. And the, the excerpt is fascinating. But I mention it because it, uh, t- from, from the inside, uh, pulls back the curtain on the canard that is the Republican Party and how afraid Republicans in the Senate are to speak up against the former president. And it's really Mm -hmm. just remarkable. And it's not something I didn't know because we've had reports from journalists who have talked to Republican talking, who have talked to Republican senators off the record and say, you know, there are these, you know, Capitol Hill reporters will say there are many Republicans who say X, Y, Z about Donald Trump. None of them obviously say it on the record. And Romney doesn't name any names, but he was in the room. He was he's a guy from the inside. And it's kind of wild. And it's also as well written and interesting. And and Romney's kind of an interesting guy. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, there there's a lot to unpack about him Mm -hmm. making that decision. And Mm -hmm. I I sent a clip of some of his statements to to Marissa and Courtney, and I think we're going to mm-hmm. talk about it tomorrow on yeah. our audio clip show. But 
he he was quite pointed <laughs> in dropping some hints mm-hmm. for his colleagues uh, of a similar generation uh, in terms of their political oh, yeah. uh, ambitions, yep. shall we say. Well, um, and, and yeah. also, uh, you know, how old they are, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you know, yeah, which, which is especially yeah. salient right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, let us move on to the one smile that we have. The one smile, just a second. I think, by the way, we should just embrace it. If we're not feeling it, we're not feeling it. You know, sometimes something yeah. hits you and it's funny and you chuckle and sometimes you're not and whatevs. Well, I needed it for myself personally because while I was like Fair. reading the news today, I was also reading about the tragedy in Libya and also uh, yeah. Morocco still trying to recover from the earthquake there. And I was feeling rather down. So I, I wanted a smile for my own mm-hmm. mental health. And it's about mental health, actually, this this smile that I found, which is a piece in Quartz about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and how they are modeling how to stage a career comeback. Because here mm. are two women who, who knows if it's their peak, but at very high points in their career, chose to stop and step back, take care of themselves, and now they are returning and they're fine. They're fine, right? And so, mm. you know, the subhead on this is the two show that quitting can be the right call and that it doesn't have to define your career. And I think a lot of women in particular are so afraid of the mark against you if you take a break, whether that be women leaving the workforce to have a child, to be a caregiver, which often falls to women. Um, There's a fear that if you stop and you step back, and it's a justified fear because for a lot of women it does carry a penalty, Um, but there are circumstances in which you can do it, you can take care of yourself, you can come back, and you're going to be okay. And I love seeing it. And it's a really nice piece sort of laying out how they managed it. And I hope that more women get the get the privilege to be able to stop and take yeah. a break and not be penalized for it. Yeah. Yeah. Fully endorsed. That's that's totally true. And and the women part of it is amazing. That's totally, totally right. And it's yeah, it's just crazy that that's still a thing that women mm-hmm. feel that way. And that's terrible. Sucks. Well, they feel yeah. that way because right. it is that way, unfortunately. No, 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 but, no, no totally, but we can totally, fix totally, it. totally, totally. But we totally. can fix it. Totally. I believe. Fair enough. Fair enough. We, See, we, we will go out on the positive <laughs> We There you go. We will go out on the positive note. Uh, back tomorrow yes. uh, with, as Kimberly said, our audio show. Keep sending us uh, your thoughts, your questions, uh, suggestions. We are at 508 You'd be smart If you've got a sound clip. We can play yeah, stuff the send hosts it to us. and do a do a audience submitted sound clip and we'll see if we know what we're talking about. 508 <laughs> you be smart. Write to us at make me smart at marketplace.org. And in case you missed it, please go back and watch the video. It was super fun to mark our recent 1,000th episode. We had a blast from the past on No Secret Anymore. It was Molly. Yay. And um, we also have these Make Me Smart bingo cards. So if you haven't had a chance to watch the video or it just moves your spirit to go watch it again, you can get your bingo card and play along. And, you know, it'll be fun. You can get yours by signing up for our newsletter at marketplace.org slash newsletters. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Drew Jostad. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. 
Ben Talladay and Danielle Ramirez wrote the bop that is our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. I say that because I actually bop each time. It makes me happy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.